Let's go to the Lord our God in prayer. Father God, we come to your word this morning in order to drink deeply of its instruction, in order to grow in obedience and faithfulness to our King, our Lord Jesus Christ. Please bless us as we look to your word through the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our reading begins in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 5, and then it will jump to verses 16 to 19 in the same chapter, and then we will conclude with Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Listen to God's holy word. Then all Israel gathered together to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, even when Saul was king, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord your God said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over my people Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. And David and all of Israel went to Jerusalem. That is Jebus, where the Jebusites were, the inhabitants of the land. The inhabitants of Jebus said to David, You will not come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. That is, the city of David. David was then in the stronghold, and a garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it. And brought it to David. But David would not drink it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me before my God that I should do this. Shall I drink the lifeblood of these men? For at the risk of their lives they brought it. Therefore he would not drink it. These things did the three mighty men. Now we've move to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. One of the big debates in the news recently is whether or not this year families should spend Thanksgiving and Christmas with one another. And part of the reason there is such a a debate is because 
when it comes to the design of America, state officials haven't really been making laws in the traditional sense, how we've come to expect them in America, but governors and health officials are making decrees. And, and you can find several different decrees in a week, and I, I'm not debating the wisdom of following them or not following them in, right now in this moment, but the whole year has had this unsettling reality when it comes to the matter of consistent rule. We've been kept on our toes with executives and health officials declaring things such as you should not have more than 10 people at a Thanksgiving dinner or maybe six people or at least wear masks in your own homes. And so there has been lively debates about this because we are a country founded on the premise and the idea that you can't just come in as an authority and brazenly decree a bunch of laws without public discourse, discussion, and law created. It's in our American DNA. It's a part of our lifeblood, those principles of individual liberty. Certain things cannot be infringed upon. And so that debate continues on, and it really continues on until, hopefully, as Pastor Ford prayed for, uh, there will be relief from COVID. Now, unlike the American political life, where we can, in one sense, debate the authority of presidents to governor's mansions, today we are going to be looking at biblical kings, both King David and King Jesus. And while that American birthright has that quality of resisting the decrees of a sovereign, when a king is anointed by God, appointed by God, and that king calls us to do something, we are not supposed to easily dismiss them. No, rather, when the king of Holy Scripture speaks, we are to say, Here I am, Lord. Command me in your ways. So let's begin looking at these two kings in order to better appreciate this, this Scripture's ultimate king that it declares about, declares of. And we'll begin by looking at David in the book of Chronicles. Now, the book of Chronicles is an interesting book to know the history of. First off, in a, if we were in a Jewish synagogue today, it wouldn't be First Chronicles or Second Chronicles. It's just the book of Chronicles. And also, while all our Old Testaments as Protestants end in the book of Malachi, the Jewish Bible actually ends in the book of Chronicles. It's not that... We Protestants have a different Bible. It's, we have all the same ingredients as a Jewish Bible, but we've arranged the ingredients a little bit differently than the plate of the Hebrew Scriptures in a Jewish synagogue. So Chronicles is their final book. It's their last book because they have not accepted this book of Matthew and the New Testament. And the Chronicles might even be the last book that was written in the Old Testament. It was written after the Jewish temple had been destroyed. It was, and so it's written in a time where the Jewish people are returning to the Holy Land and starting to rebuild Judah again, trying to, starting to build a second temple. And there is no clear king in sight from the Davidic line. And so Chronicles is kind of a romanticized remembrance of the better days when Israel had a king. 
Its desire is to inspire the reader to look back to those better days of Israel, that golden period, and also to look forward to a greater messianic king to come. In one sense, it's the exact opposite of what happened to me yesterday at Gettysburg. You see, my, my family decided to take up the opportunity of having Bruce, or, I mean, uh, Bruce and, and, and uh, Karen Stocking take us around Gettysburg. When you get historians like that who are willing to show you that kind of place, you go. And what was Bruce doing left and right? He was demythologizing Gettysburg. He was saying, you see that memorial marker right there? It shouldn't be there. It should be over there. You see this general? It's depicted here. He actually cut and run. He wasn't faithful. And you see this army and this army. And, and all throughout, he's, he's kind of he's telling an accurate history. But he's also helping to kind of tell the, more, the raw details we kind of glance over. Well, the writer of Chronicles, his aim is entirely different. He wants to pull at those Jewish heartstrings, speaking of a greater bygone era, far longer than fourscore and seven years ago, in order to inspire a people who are no longer protected or feel the protection of an earthly king of Judah who is related to them by blood, who is also their kinsman. He wants to inspire a people who have returned to a land where they're often prone to attacks, to rebels, to, to people who are uh, raiding their, their homes and their cities, and, and to a, a people that are literally building up rubble once again. Chronicles is supposed to remind a people broken what an ideal king is like, a king worthy to receive both honor and glory. And so with that in mind, let us now begin looking at chapter 11 of 1 Chronicles. And it begins with David becoming king of Israel at Hebron, which was roughly about 18 miles southwest of Jerusalem. It was the first city in which David ruled. He actually ruled there for about a period of eight years. And the chronicler reminds us that at David's coronation was the nation of Israel being united to their king in this golden age a time before Israel was split into various factions into north and south, divided by the Babylonians and the Syrians. There was a time before where there was unity between the people and their king. And the chronicler describes the relationship the people had with the king in a unique kind of way of how David shared both bone and flesh with them. The language really is not so different from Genesis chapter 2 when Adam beholds Eve and he says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. When he was celebrating Eve, the first woman as a gift to him. Likewise, all of Israel has gathered in Hebron to greet David as king for that first time and they declared to David, behold, we are your bone, we are your flesh. The chronicler, remembering times long past, is reminding the reader how a good king and a faithful people could complement one another, have a marriage of sorts. We could receive in a good king, one in whom we could love and serve, and a true king was, as verse 2 helps reveal, a leader, someone who could give his faithful followers purpose and direction. 
A king was also a shepherd who we could follow so that we would not lose our way. How many days and how many hours in our life do we often wander and feel directionless? Isn't it hard when either we ourselves or others we know have little to no purpose, true purpose in life, because they won't follow the king. They just travel these lives' paths in an aimless way. It's hard. When it comes to the human condition, we long for purpose. And where can we find such purpose? The chronicler's answer is that you can find deeper purpose and direction in the king of Israel. And so after these first two verses of acknowledging the king of Israel... What do the bride-like followers of the king do? They make a covenant with him. They make a promise with him in verse 3. They anoint him as their king, and he in turn blesses them with his rule. You know, there were times in history where certain nations would forcibly baptize people who were not Christians, and it failed miserably because to come into real union with Jesus is not just some ceremony, some sacramental ceremony of a rite and ritual, but it's also to truly come under his authority. That's why even today when we baptize children, while this church will baptize children into the covenant family of God, we wait until they partake of the meal with us because there's a uniqueness to falling under the authority of God. You have to yearn for him to guide your life, to give you that sense of a direction. God is not a tyrant. He will not rule over those who want nothing to do with him. He will allow them to depart his presence and to continue in foolishness. And eventually he will hand them over to a different kind of authority. One who is both wicked and evil and wants nothing of love and joy in your life. And so the call for all of us today is to love our King. And desire a greater fidelity in our relationship with him. We as believers have not been left in this world in order to despair. But we are to see what the chronicler sees. To remember the blessing it is to have a king that we can follow. 2020 has challenged us all to trust our worldly leaders. And yet the chronicler reminds us here there is a better ruler out there. One you can promise your fidelity to, and he will guide you in this life. And then in verses 4 and 5, we see our king on the move. our, Our king desires to expand his seat of power. No longer is David content just to rule at Hebron, but he travels to the city of Jerusalem, which at this time had been controlled by a people who despised Israel, the Jebusites. And while the Jebusites... Declare to the king of Israel, you will not come in here. You will not have us. We will not be yours. He was a king that could conquer new people to himself, new places to himself. And he desired that new capital, that new Jerusalem. And at that point in verse 5, it seems like a rather great accomplishment. The king's name has gone forth to Zion, to the city of Jerusalem, and it's now associated with this king's name forever. But then we skip down to verse 16, and in verse 16 we see the king yet again from this new stronghold in Zion and Jerusalem. And the king says with a deep sense of desire, 
Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well in Bethlehem that is by the gate. And that's an interesting statement by David for a few reasons. First off, let's talk in a practical sense. David already had water to drink in his stronghold. He had perfectly good spring water. Also, Bethlehem water really wasn't anything great. I had a laugh studying about this this week, and the one commentator just went on and on about how terrible the water is in Bethlehem. It's, it's, this is not the water of the Rockies. This is not the water of Fiji that they fly in and put in our stores, or, or my personal favorite, Lake Tahoe. Bethlehem water really isn't renowned for being all that remarkable. But of course, when we begin to think a little bit about more, more about who David was, of course, David was born in Bethlehem. And so the water of Bethlehem has a special place for him. And, it's gonna, and that king who was born there, he, he in one sense is saying, I mourn the fact that the place I came from will not honor me, will not bow to me, that they're ruled by another. And so what's really happening here is that the king of Israel sees a place that's supposed to be ruled by him. It's supposed to be controlled, and yet it's controlled by another power or authority, and it grieves him in this moment. And the king looks forward to the day when the land he was born into is all his. That there's not just certain places that are his, but that it's all his. And then in verse 18, we have three mighty men hear their king's sorrow of not having access to the water of Bethlehem. And these three mighty men, they decide to storm the city of David's birth in order to serve their king water from Bethlehem. And these three mighty men, outnumbered and outmanned, fight off a far greater enemy. And God blesses their courage, and they are able to capture a drink from the well of Bethlehem on behalf of their king. I couldn't help at this moment but to think about how epic this scene seems to be from Chronicles. How I'd just love to see a movie about this. About three men who, who storm Bethlehem and take on these great armies in order just to capture a small drink of water. And yet... There is really, a, to, my, to my knowledge, no movie of such thing. And even so, I, when I read the Bible, I was like, why didn't you give me more detail? I want a lot of details about this. This is fantastic. And yet, then I remembered. The Bible's not interested in glorifying the king's soldiers. The Bible's a story about glorifying the king. And so... These men return to the king of Israel in Zion, and they hand David the water they received after great risk, personal sacrifice, and courage. And this is a little bit like what some of us might experience at Christmas soon. They, they seem to have the ideal gift, the ideal Christmas gift, and, and they're watching David, you know, unwrap it in one sense. What is this? Oh, David, it's the water you longed for. And yet, the king of Zion, he does something shocking with that water. What King David does at first seems like it's a waste. 
It seems as almost as if somebody gave you a Christmas gift and you immediately threw it into the trash. But this unique king of Israel didn't want his people to do brave sacrifices in order that he might personally benefit. No, rather, this king of Israel is a humble king, a pious king. And so he pours out the water upon the land. His desires are for the betterment of the land and the people he rules over. They're not selfishly motivated. And also, David is fully aware that those three men could have only done what they did through the power of God. So why should he receive the glory? We humans like to take a lot of credit for things that we never have been able to accomplish in our own strength. And we're at our wisest when we remember that any great accomplishment we witness or partake in are ultimately things not done through our own strength, but are done through the gracious generosity of our King in heaven, our King in the heavenly Zion. The wise king doesn't see his followers as a commodity for his own benefit. And we likewise should not have Christian relationships in order to exploit or to build up ourselves, but in order to exalt our king. And so David takes that water that the men fought so hard for, and he pours the blessing of it back out on the land, declaring, Far be it for me, before my God, that I shall do this. Shall I drink the lifeblood of these men? For at the risk of their lives they brought it. This king is generous with the courageous sacrifices done by his servants on behalf of him. He's so generous that at great cost and sacrifice themselves, he cannot help but when he watches and witnesses such sacrifice to bless the land itself with such courage. When we look out to the communities we live in, the nation we love, the world we live upon. Remember that there's a king in Zion who declares at the end of the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 28, verse 18, that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him so that one day throughout this entire world, every wellspring of water, every inch of land will love him as a bridegroom, as like a marital relationship, and yearn to please him in every thought and deed. You know, it wasn't until recently uh, when modern modern archaeology discovered or uncovered where this well was in Bethlehem. The very site that David drink, yearns for a drink of water out of in our passage today. And do you know where they found it? They found it directly due east of the church of Nativity. The church in Bethlehem built on the site where it's believed that both the king of heaven and earth, Jesus, was born into a manger a thousand years after David. It was the well next to where Jesus was ultimately born. That means the animals, that means Joseph, that means Mary, that means Jesus himself was first bathed in the very water that David is talking about in our reading today. What glorious, life-giving water that was for that family on that night.
And when we can begin to consider who that will well blessed and served, that it served that most unique of all families, of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, when it began in that manger, where three brave, we then appreciate more intimately this story about David, about those three men who fought for the well. They were wise men in one sense. They fought for what their king of Israel desired most a thousand years earlier. The three men sacrificed so that their king could be honored. And we too are called to sacrifice in this life so that our king can be honored. And so now let us return to Matthew once more before we close out our series in this gospel. While on the mountaintop of Galilee, the risen Lord Jesus in chapter 28 calls out to his followers who now share bone of bone and flesh of flesh with the very God-man, Jesus Christ. And our King Jesus, upon the mountaintop in Galilee, declares that he now reigns both on heaven and on earth. That there is no place in all of creation and in all of heaven that is outside his power and authority. And so he declares to his bride, his faithful, his disciples, go then. Fight for my name. Fight for the ability to rule over hearts and minds who reject me in this moment. Baptize them. Cover them with water into a new covenant. Teach them. Instruct them to observe the principles and declarations that I have set forth as a king. To obey not the world's commands, but my commands. And realize I'm going to be the king who's always with you. Because while David was a good king, David was not with his men as they fought for the well. While our Lord Jesus, he has promised us, he's always with us as we do battle in the world. He will never forsake us. You know, I I know it's tempting because I've had it so many times to think we live in such an awful time to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We just see like society going wayward. And we we were consumed with worldly sorrow and despair. But do you know that numerically, this is the largest, our generation is the largest ingathering of Christians to the name of Christ in world history. I know it's hard to believe that in America, but it's happening in the rest of the world. Actually, I read this week how an estimate of 12% of the world's population is a truly dedicated Christian at this point, where they they truly seem to live their life in worship of God, in dedication to um, believing in Him as God, at least outwardly, in ways that they can measure. And the king desires even more of this world, not to be his enemy, but to receive him as king. Not for his personal glory, but because he wants goodness to be poured out upon the land. And in this church on this morning, I do take a moment, even though I know they don't want the personal illustration, and, and I just say at the beginning, it's, it's like water being poured out in an arid desert. It, while I do want to recognize both of you, um, it will fade away, and ultimately, it's God who gets the credit, the king who gets the credit. We take a moment to recognize two individuals who have fought bravely in this life so that others might drink from the living water of Bethlehem. 
Well, Pastor Ford, we especially honor you for your pastoral service here uh, at Old Goshenhampen. We also recognize that God has given you a glorious helper in Mark, who has been beside you every step of the way in ministry. And you too have been focused on getting people to drink from the good wellspring of water, living water in Bethlehem. And I thank you personally as a minister who now follows in the congregation in your footsteps. Because I have seen the benefits of your courage, your conviction, your steadfast love for the Lord in fighting well. Not just here at Old Goshenhoppen Church, but also at Covenant and elsewhere. Throughout our community. Your desire has been to see new image bearers drink from the life-giving water of Bethlehem. And while ministry successes seem fleeting at times, they seem to last no longer than water poured out on the dirt, God has blessed your service. And one day you will see perfectly the incredible things God did through your faithful fight to give others life-giving water to drink. Now, for all of you who might not have noticed or are unaware, your cover is not just a giant stream of water. But in that right-hand corner of it is both Pastor Ford and Mark. And in one sense, this image illustrates how God has blessed their life. While they are not the focal point of the image, they are even hard to see. The Lord has used them in order to pour out his blessing upon the land. And while one day their bodies will be entombed here uh, outside at Old Goshenhoppen and their sacrifices will be forgotten by the world, this world, there is a greater day coming for them in the world to come when they meet their king in Zion. And the king says, oh, you heard me, my children, and you were faithful to my word. And now come see how I poured out your sacrifices For the benefit of the land. Let's have God's word this morning serve to remind us all that we too are supposed to be fighting so that our communities, our families, our friends, our nation, our world might drink from the living water that is Jesus. God blesses such courage, God blesses such valor. God blesses such dedication to our King. Let us go, therefore, listening to our King's decree, going forward in faith, and battling faithfully in this life so that others might be blessed by the living water of Bethlehem. Amen? Let us pray. Father God, you have given us drink Even though we had no money to buy, your water had no price. You just called us to drink, and so we drank. And we have had our thirst quenched by the gracious mercy of Jesus Christ, the glorious King of heaven and earth. And let us then, in the remainder of our lives, throughout our lives, be generous to share this good water with others. Let us not hoard it for ourselves, but let us have courage. Let us be mighty men and women of valor who share with our loved ones and neighbors the true gift of the world, the water from which there is no thirst anymore. 
in order to do this, Lord, we need your strength. And so we ask for it in this moment. In Jesus' precious name, amen.